Broadcasting live from the smoldering remains of Ace Chemicals, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. Hi, hello, I'm here again, Ricardo. Alright, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about this week, boys, so I say we jump right into news. Let's do it. Last week, we had the 2020 Emmy Awards, which is probably the last semi-normal award show we're going to be getting for quite some time. The biggest winner of the night was obviously Schitt's Creek, who achieved a feat no other comedy series had ever previously done. They won all four acting categories for comedy series. Wow, no kidding. Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. For Dan Levy, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, and Annie Murphy. Wow. Have you guys watched Schitt's Creek? I haven't, but I've heard nothing but hilarious things about it. I really recommend it. It also won Best Writing in a Comedy Series, Best Directing in a Comedy Series, and Best Overall Comedy Series. They swept the comedy categories. That's crazy. That's a pretty good endorsement to give it a shot. I mean, I'm not even sure what it's actually about, but it has to be good. About Eugene Levy and his eyebrows. Yeah, what's not to like? As happy as I am for Schitt's Creek, and as much as I really think they deserve it, I am a little bummed that Darcy Carden and Ted Danson never got Emmys for roles that they definitely should have gotten Emmys for on The Good Place. This was their last shot, huh? That is a shame. I mean, I've never seen Schitt's Creek, granted, but I really liked Ted Danson in The Good Place. It kind of genuinely bums me out that he's not going to get as recognized as maybe he should have been. Does The Good Place have any Emmys right now? Good Place never won an Emmy. What? Not a single Emmy? Oh my god, that's Garbo. That sucks. Especially considering I think it is genuinely one of the best series ever on television. Definitely one of the best modern anything I've seen in a long time. That really bums me out. But the other big winners for the Emmys were Watchmen won pretty much everything that it was nominated for, including Outstanding Limited Series. Regina King won Best Actress. I do not want to mess up his name. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II won Best Supporting Actor. Did you guys... Watch Watchmen. Ricardo, that seems like up your alley. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. The thing is, I want to reread the original Watchmen and then watch the show, because they said it's supposed to be like a sequel to the comic. It is very, very good, but definitely you have to read the comic first, 100%. Man, I was going to start that soon, because, you know, now we have the HBO Max access, but uh, I have not read that comic in years. I think I might have to find myself another copy of it and reread it. Looks like we all gotta jump back on the on the book real quick before we can get into it. Just go watch the Zack Snyder movie. Never seen it, Ugh. always wanted to. I don't know. Heard it's bad. But it was also a big night for HBO Beyond Watchmen because Succession swept up quite a bit of the drama category. Oh my god, I keep feeling like such a dummy for not having like seen any of the things you're saying have won so much recognition from the Emmys, but I just, I want to see Succession so badly. All of this stuff I watched in quarantine. Man, you're, you're all caught up for this. Well, HBO kept making stuff free, and I was like, well, I'm not going to pass it up, you know, and Shits Creek's on Netflix, so. And now you're hooked, you can't be without the HBO. But one of the major categories that they didn't win, Succession, HBO still won because Zendaya got Best Actress in a Drama Series for Euphoria. Oh, wait, yes, I remember. I think I started Euphoria a while ago. HBO cleaned up. Did anybody else win anything? Is it just, like, anything no that mattered? No one else is making to... television, Seamus. 
apparently. HBO and CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Yo, CBC. Let's move Let's on. Let's move on to the WandaVision trailer. I thought it was cool. I think it's very intriguing, and it's a concept of a lot of weird mystery through television time jumps, it looks like. I'm digging it. It just looks weird, and that's why I like it. I'm glad that they didn't give us too many answers to anything. I did not know Catherine Hahn was in it, and... I am delighted. There seemed to be a little, you know, wicked witch energy going on there in that trailer with her. A little bit. Maybe she is going to get revealed to be more of a named villain, perhaps? So they confirmed at the end of the trailer that it is coming this year. So it will be before the end of 2020, which a lot of people were wondering if Marvel was going to have to delay the release of all these Disney Plus shows because they're having to delay the release of all of their theatrical releases and how much those were going to tie together. I actually was wondering, based on some of the content in the trailer, if they're going to drop it surprise before Halloween. Because there is a lot of Halloween imagery in the trailer. Yeah, they kind of magnify that a little bit in the trailer of the Halloween costumes of the original Scarlet Witch and the original Vision that they dress up as. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll do it a Stranger Things style. Do it, kind of time it with the time of year. I I wouldn't mind that. They also have Mandalorian dropping on Disney Plus literally the day before Halloween, so that makes me think maybe they're gonna wait until into November or something, but it wouldn't surprise me based on the content in the trailer if we did end up seeing it around Halloween. Well, fingers crossed. That means we'll be getting it a lot sooner than one might think. I mean, maybe they'll keep it later towards the end of the year so that they can keep people interested through the new year until they can drop more of their scheduled stuff, but, uh, Plus, I'm sure they're also trying to avoid the grab the free trial or grab the one month, binge it, and shut it off. I mean, I guess if they're doing it Mandalorian style, where it's going to be weekly episodes, which I guess I assume it will be, Yeah. maybe that'll be... I think they said that all the Disney Plus shows are going to be once a week. We were talking about this just right before the show. We got a brief glimpse of Monica Rambeau, Maria Rambeau's daughter from Captain Marvel, all grown up. So it'll be interesting to see how she plays into this series. Didn't really notice her the first time around, but we'll see. I'm very excited, though. I am still kind of Marvel fatigued, but I think... The TV shows look a little bit more weird and a little bit more distinctive, and they'll probably be able to try things that aren't so homogenized, which does make me a little bit more excited for them than I am for, say, Black Widow. Speaking of Marvel, Disney has released their official slate of new release dates. Who knows, might get changed again. This is a very soft list of release dates. We've got Death on the Nile, which is the sequel to the Kenneth Branagh Murder on the Orient Express. This was originally a Fox property. Now it's a Disney property. December 18th, 2020. So Disney does not have any plans to release anything theatrically until the end of the year. Disney is a huge trendsetter in the industry, so I imagine that most studios are going to kind of follow suit. So we'll see where that leaves us over the next few months in terms of like most movie theaters are already reopened, but they're not going to have anything new to show. Who's I was going to say, that ain't Who's my pup. The... Ricardo, he wants to be on the pod. <laughs> Get a on. pair of dog headphones. <laughs> okay, we've got Black Widow coming May 7th, 2021. Shang-Chi coming July 9th, 2021. Eternals coming November 5th, 2021. And West Side Story coming all the way December 10th, 2021. With what I've heard about the way that they're treating a lot of these, at least the Marvel shoots... 
they're being pretty careful. I think a lot of them are shooting in those pretty successful bubbles, but I think, like you said, the problem is going to be the like real distribution, unless it's just going to be the next full year of premium access releases. I don't see any Marvel movies going online. I just don't think just that's an, in the Just an indefinite push forever? Black Widow's just going to be... By May, whether we have a vaccine or not, I think it's likely that that release date will hold. I'm saying that's probably a bad thing, but I think people by that point will have been doing this for a year, and people I don't think are going to be willing that much longer to not go see stuff. And I don't think Disney's going to be willing to sit on it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Then our big, huge piece of news. Microsoft has acquired Bethesda for $7.5 billion with a B dollars. This is a big one, folks. This is, like, one of the main deciders of a lot of the criticisms of PlayStation over Xbox is the exclusives that they have access to, especially since Sony has recently acquired many studios to make exclusives for the upcoming PlayStation 5. Bethesda and the uh, the parent company, which... Uh, Zenimax. Zenimax. They have Doom, Wolfenstein the Fallout franchise, the Elder Scrolls franchise. And those are all going to be available on Xbox Game Pass, which is a huge selling point. And presumably any of those franchises going forward, any new games will be Xbox exclusives. You know, I think the exclusives coming up in this next gen are what is going to be, what's going to allow these companies to play hardball. So yeah, PlayStation has what? They have the Spider-Man franchise, which is huge. Yeah, they're building that one out. They have God of War, Horizon, Zero Dawn, Forbidden West, all those. Naughty Dog exclusively does stuff for PlayStation, but their big juggernauts, Last of Us and Uncharted, are seemingly done. So it'll be interesting to see what their big project for PS5 is. So, definitely with Bethesda under its belt, Microsoft is going to give those exclusives a run for their money. In addition to, you know, Halo and Gears Yeah, I mean, really the only selling point Xbox-wise for me over the years was Halo, but at least between Elder Scrolls and Fallout, those are two franchises that I have been a consistent player of for a long, long time. So, this is going to is going to hit me where it hurts if they really do pull the trigger on the exclusivity, which they haven't officially announced yet. It's just more of a good educated guess of how that's going to go. I think it could be on a franchise by franchise basis. Maybe with something bigger, like I could... they would might maybe make a deal to release on multi-platform. Well, presumably, since it's Microsoft, anything that's available as an Xbox exclusive will also be on PC. Right, right. But I could see them going, Wolfenstein is an exclusive, but Fallout is still going to be on PS5. You know, on a franchise-by-franchise basis making that call. Because at the beginning, it's going to be really crucial right when these systems come out to have exclusives. To make it clear, here's why you need to buy the Xbox Series X over the PlayStation 5. But a year or two down the line when most of the people that have decided which consoles they're going to get have bought that console, then that's when you're going to see, I think, them starting to roll out things that are going to be on both systems, because making money is making money. That's true for the most part. I do know that Sony has been a real stinker in the past about things like cross-play 
and exclusive titles that they want to use to differentiate themselves, but I think with a behemoth like this, they might have to soften their policies up a little bit on what they're willing to let go. So I think that brings us to our pop culture catch-up of the episode. Since we're talking about Birds of Prey today, we thought it was appropriate to do a catch-up on the DC Fandome event, which happened last month and was a huge showcase essentially a Comic-Con replacement of all of the stuff that DC has in the works right now. So we're going to be primarily focusing on the video game news and the, obviously, movie news. So let's just give a quick rundown. Uh, Do you guys want to start with video games or movies? Let's keep it on video games since we were just talking about Xbox. We've got Gotham Knights, which is an all-new standalone game not connected to the Arkham universe. It is not. No, it's his own separate thing. You get to play as everyone else. There's no Batman this time around. Yeah, the cinematic reveal trailer is like, if you're hearing this, Batman is dead, you have to take up the mantle of protecting Gotham, and it goes out to his four young wards, as it were. Well, three young wards and a mercenary? What's what's the team again? We've got Dick Grayson Nightwing, we've got Barbara Gordon Batgirl, Jason Todd Red Hood, and Tim Drake Robin. I'll be interested to see what villains are folded in here. There's been a lot of clues and hints that it's going to be the Court of Owls. Right, which they're also saying might be in, not to get ahead of ourselves, they're also saying could possibly be in the new Batman movie. Which, for anybody that is not super aware the court of owls is like a very major gotham element that doesn't really get touched on at all really in any of the major batman movies well it's relatively recent addition to the canon if i'm not mistaken right ricardo yeah it's super new scott snyder's 2011 is when it started back when the new 52 hit it was like his first like story right out of the gate as writer on the batman title instantly people like really latched on to the court of owls it's making its way into different movies and video games and stuff now so they're kind of like an illuminati eyes wide shut secret society they're pulling the strings in gotham yeah that's it exactly they've been there the whole time Which, it kind of feels like how the League of Shadows purport to be in Batman Begins. How they're like, we've been controlling Gotham for centuries, Bruce. Very, very similar vibes there, I think. Yeah, I can see that. We do have, and I believe I read that this is in the Arkham universe, the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League game made by Rocksteady. Which, Gotham Knights looks very cool and very good. The Suicide Squad trailer looks very cool. Like, I'm a little more excited for that one than uh, Gotham Knights, I think. Really? I thought it looked really dumb and Fortnite-y. I thought it looked really juvenile. Come on, man. Well, it it looks a little (laughs) Fortnite-y. Graphics-wise, though, it looks beautiful. It looks very well rendered. I just think the whole humor setup feels very Fortnite dancey. I'm just kind of done with the Suicide Squad in general. I think that team is getting way too much attention. Well, I mean, also with, like, the Birds of Prey kind of felt like an offshoot. And, like, maybe I am just... 
I'm giving him too much excitement right off the bat, and then my hopes are dashed so low. Maybe I shouldn't be as looking forward to this game, but, you know, it could surprise us. I was excited for the Avengers game, and it was apparently garbage. Maybe this game will be seemingly underwhelming and then blow us all away. I mean, I'm definitely going to wait for reviews for both of these games before I check them out. Yeah. I think Gotham Knights sounds like a cool concept and i'll be interested to see how it's executed and then if they say the suicide squad gameplay is really good i'd be willing to check it out yeah that's kind of what i'm banking on because they didn't show any gameplay did they show any gameplay in the gotham knights one a little bit i, I think, think just a just a it, couple it, it clips, was right? mostly like clips and, like character stuff speaking of suicide squad you guys want to talk about that new one the suicide yeah, let's squad ta- yeah let's let's talk movies we got our sneak peek at the star-studded james gunn the suicide squad which it will be only in theaters 2021 we'll see we've got a lot of returning cast members from the first suicide squad we've got harley quinn obviously margot robbie is back amanda waller as played by viola davis Rick Flagg is played by Joel Kinnaman, and Captain Boomerang played by everybody's least favorite recurring actor, Jai Courtney. I didn't hate them in the other Suicide Squad as much. I guess I'm more excited for the new insane roster of characters I've never heard of before that get brought up. Polka Dot Man. Yeah, Polka Dot Man, which is the guy from Ant-Man whose name I cannot pronounce. He's the guy who does the Baba Yaga story. Yeah. There we go. He's also in The Dark Knight. Um, That's true. Yes, he, he is. Gets, I uh, interrogated. About that. The big reveal was Idris Elba as Bloodsport. Which is a character I don't know much about. I assume it's going to be kind of comparable to Deadshot in a way. A gun-based villain man. His whole deal is like he's in prison for shooting Superman. Whatever that means in the context of the movie. I'm sure they'll flesh that out for I us. I hope so. And then we've got John Cena oh, yeah. as Peacemaker. Nathan Fillion, who is a good friend of James Gunn's, playing TDK. But it really just looks like he's playing Arms Fall Off guy. Yeah, that's what everyone's been saying. Even in his logo, it looks like his arms are cut <laughs> off and his costume has no sleeves. You've got Peter Capaldi as the thinker. Oh, yeah. We've got Michael Rooker. And he's Savant, right? Yeah, Savant. There we go. I have no idea who that is. Ricardo is probably the one who knows the most about DC out of the three of us. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) The box sets of bat things. That's his domain. You've got Sean Gunn as Weasel, who I could also see James Gunn thinking it's funny to kill his brother immediately. (laughs) We should really do a Deadpool of who we think is going to die. The week before, we'll air it. We'll say what we think is going to happen. We'll have our tally, and then we'll have some kind of embarrassing thing after we see the movie for whoever loses. Perfect. That's a great idea. I'm all about it. So, Ricardo, this is your domain. Please (laughs) tell us about our last DC fandom thing. Ladies and gentlemen, the Batman trailer. It got me so excited. It looks like an interesting time. It's a little bit darker than I expected it to be. Visually or tonally? We're going noir, Garrett. Tonally. I think it feels grounded, which is what I expected. But I thought they were maybe going to try to move a little bit away from the Nolan Batman is so dark and brooding. And then the Affleck Batman is so dark and brooding. And I thought they were going to maybe move away from that a little bit like not that batman shouldn't be dark brooding because that's part of the character but tonally i thought they were gonna maybe move away from that just a little bit 
I am glad to see a more grounded Batman compared to what we've been seeing in the Ben Affleck version. I'm glad to see that it looks like he's doing detective work. Yeah, he's in actual crime scenes this time around. It's nice to see that it really feels like we're going to be doing World's Greatest Detective stuff. They described it as a murder mystery, which I'm sure there's more to it, but as of right now... (laughs) I've seen people point out it's not much of a, a mystery since who who committed these murders? I bet it was the Riddler. <laughs> yeah, right. I was just about to say, I really liked well, uh, the creepy Riddler stuff in this trailer, too. It makes me wonder if the Riddler is some kind of fake out. Again, a lot of people are wondering if the Court of Owls are going to be some kind of bigger bad in this movie. Yeah, we also have a lot when of... we got Colin Farrell. I was going to say, we have a lot of that casting news. The Penguin. Yep. We also get a look at the Zoe Kravitz, Selena Kyle. Who's working on a very bare-bones budget for her outfit. All of it's very Batman year one feeling. I know that Matt Reeves has come out and said that this is in Batman's second year. Yeah. Uh, fighting crime. Ricardo, my advice to you is to be excited, because I am as well, but maybe temper your expectations. I don't want you to be crushed, like, after Batman v Superman, of just, like, <laughs> can't handle it, talking about it to this day. Especially because these DC movies have a bad track record, and they're getting better, but I think out of all of them, Shazam is the only one that I wholeheartedly I like. love Shazam, and no other... DC movies as of late I could say that I love. I could not do it. Well, let's talk about another Segways. DC movie. Oh boy. Our main segment, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Let's talk about let's talk about okay. the title because they changed it because yeah, it they was did. so hard to market that they changed it to Birds of Prey colon Is that why that was the title in the corner of my screen instead of the full one on the title card in the movie? Yes, because while it was in theaters, they found out that it was too hard to market that movie and people didn't know what it was. And I would argue the original title, I think, is an interesting title and I like, but at the same time, if they were really going for clarity in marketing, I would argue that they really should have called it Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey because also, without getting into too many spoilers... Birds of Prey aren't in this movie yeah, a whole they, lot. Yeah, no, they're not. It's a Harley Quinn movie. Yeah, really kind of threw me for a loop there a little bit, considering that it's like, again, not getting into too many spoilers, like in the outro, kind of, but... It is cluttered. Like, I don't... For anyone that doesn't know, the movie's told in kind of a, like, jumping around time sort of editing style, and I think that's a real big detriment to its pacing, because there's times I forget people are in the movie. No kidding. It's very frustrating because what feels like it should be the first 25 minutes of the movie, because they double back so much, becomes like the first hour of the movie. Yeah, I was I was getting lost in these flashbacks and then catching back up to the point where you are, only to be like brought back again mid-action. It felt like a little bit of whiplash going on. It felt like a movie from a franchise that knew that it was not long for this world. Checking off some boxes that they were just like, well, we're not going to get another one, so let's just do this because we can and it's not going to matter. And overall, it did feel like it was, I don't know, cluttered might be a very good word for it. I I liked this movie, but it has some huge, huge problems from a basic structural perspective yeah yeah like i think it's a beautiful movie i'm so happy to see things with color palettes like real color palettes not whatever suicide squad was 
which is yeah. just every color at once, but also still gray. It has a defined aesthetic. It has good performances. I thought Ewan McGregor in particular was very I will fun. definitely oh, he's agree. a ball. He's he's loving playing Even this character. Though... Man, I almost feel like I'm in a daze thinking back on this movie. It's like I keep hurting myself by giving myself these expectations that they're learning lessons. I mean, maybe they are a little bit. They definitely are. They they definitely learned a lot from especially Suicide Squad in this movie. Yeah. But they still enough. didn't learn <laughs> enough to make it work the way that they want it to work. Really, I just want the movie that I think this movie promised that it was going to be and then Maybe wasn't. that's why I felt that disappointment is that I was expecting a little Well what did you think this was gonna be? I thought this was gonna be a team up movie. Yeah, I, I could see that. <laughs> anyone would think that really. I mean that's how it was marketed. My real number one problem with it one of my favorite villains in batman is victor zaz is such a cool character in a lot of ways i like him in a lot of different versions of his character this was not one of those versions i it did not speak to me man i i couldn't feel a lot of personality coming off of him i feel like he felt more of just like a nameless lieutenant until you know he reveals a couple of the patented zaz trademarks of this character again pretty far down the line of the runtime of this movie. That speaks to a general problem in this movie, is that what should be the midpoint event of this movie doesn't happen until the third act, because they spent so much time spinning their wheels at the beginning of the story. But I really enjoyed the possibly homoerotic dynamic between Black Mask and Zaz. <laughs> is that what you picked <laughs> up from their relationship? Did you not? Did you not, man? <laughs> I, I didn't. I, I don't know what you guys were seeing that I wasn't, but maybe I should go look at their time on screen together. I think maybe you should, because I, I think there's a pretty intentional implication, erotic devotion from both sides of that relationship. Wow, I... I did not pick that up, guys. <laughs> there was, like, definitely a level of devotion there that seemed maybe I put on the insanity that the character of Zaz usually has of just, like, obsession, but maybe maybe it was a little more homoerotic. This is a separate thing from what we were just talking about with Zaz and Black Mask. It was nice to see more casually integrated LGBT relationships and integrated into this movie. Rosie Perez and Ali Wong are exes. And then also in the opening animatic, you see Harley Quinn dated a girl that looks an awful lot like Poison Ivy. I noticed that as well. Yeah, which, I, I mean, mean, obviously in the comics and the animated show, they are an item. I just thought that was well integrated part of the overall story world without having a lot of what a lot of people on the internet like to scream about being in your face. Yeah, it's not the kiss at the end of Star Wars that easily cut out or whatever. Mm -hmm. It was just, like you said, casually and comfortably fit into a script where it doesn't feel like it could be screamed about on the internet about shoehorning in things or making it seem like it's all up in your face. And then talking about also the way that people like to scream about things on the internet, I thought that the interpretation of Harley Quinn in this movie was a lot stronger than in Suicide Squad, because there is a very clear male gaze in Suicide Squad that I do not feel like is present in this movie, mostly because it was directed by a woman. But it feels like she's an actual character and not just a sex object with a sad backstory. She feels like she grows and develops, which I will say most of the characters in this movie don't feel fleshed out at all. 
Yeah, maybe that is a product what? of having known this version of the character a little longer and getting to see that bit of growth in the in her writing, but I think it's also to the detriment of the other characters that, I mean, we already kind of touched on it before, that there is not enough of pretty much everyone else. Final thoughts. I thought Birds of Prey was a fun time. It was not what I wanted it to be, certainly. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I give it about like a B-. minus. It's got some pretty cool action sequences. It's got a laugh here and there. Personally, I don't know if I would recommend this one. I didn't have as much of a fun time as I wanted to. I was expecting maybe a lot more growth from between what this was and what Suicide Squad was, but... I think you're right, Seamus. I think, um, especially in its editing, it still suffers from a lot of the same problems that Suicide Squad does, is that it feels like a trailer. Yeah, wasted opportunity, if you ask me. I think this movie could have been so much greater than it was, but... Certainly. That is certainly the case. Why don't we get into it, then, and we'll just kind of talk about what caught us. Okay, spoiler warning. From now on, we're talking spoilers. First of all, why do they not meet up until the last 20 minutes of the movie? That's a great question. Why don't they (laughs) do anything until the last 20 minutes of the movie, seemingly? Especially because the last 20 minutes of the movie, I think, are pretty good. I really, really, really like the whole roller skating car chase. The way that Huntress pulls her and then she goes over the car and under the car and... Bring it back up the roller derby stuff that was brought up in her coping montage of how she got over everything. And that's good writing. That's yeah, that... set up and payoff. That's that's what works. Should we break that down? Just like, you know, in this movie, Harley's broken up with the Joker. They don't even bother to they don't even bring back Jared Leto. face. Good. You know what? He's a drawing. (laughs) Yeah, I like that it's kind of the... We know which Joker it is, but they keep it just like, it's the Joker, you get it. It doesn't need to be as specifically related to Suicide Squad as it could have been if they just, like, straight up used more of the old footage with him in it. Yeah, they only really have two moments that feel like where they actually acknowledge Suicide Squad, which is the Captain Boomerang poster. And the shirt. Cassandra Kane is really Cassandra Kane in name only because obviously Cassandra Kane becomes Batgirl in the comics and is mute largely. Yeah, yeah this is an entirely different character. <laughs> yeah, very, Which, who very cares? strange. I, and that doesn't bother me. It's just an interesting thing that they even bothered to name her Cassandra Kane. Not even she really gets an arc. It's just like, I'm scared and then I'm not scared anymore. It's the same Black Canary gets, I don't want to be a hero. I'll be a hero. And Huntress gets not even an arc because she doesn't have a, like, real character moment until the last 20 minutes. It's such a shame because the whole socially awkward badass thing I thought worked really well. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. Her practicing in the mirror. (laughs) And the whole Huntress name reveal, too, is very funny. All of the Birds of Prey's dynamic, once they finally got together, I thought worked really well, and it made me wish there was more of it throughout the movie. You know, we're going to be repeating records over here of just like, they did good things, just not anywhere nearly enough to make this movie as satisfying as it could have been. I will say I don't like the whole diamond plot. I think that could have been cut out entirely. Who cares? Exactly. It's another who cares. The girl is a MacGuffin. They don't treat Cassandra Cain like a character. They treat her as something that needs to be handled and passed around. Because, Hmm. really, without all the, the flash of the jumping timelines and everything, the story is... Harley Quinn is going to get killed by Black Mask unless she gets this girl. She gets the girl. They come after her. She kills Black Mask. Yeah. 
I it mean, is not anywhere near an actual story. It is the pillars of a story with no second act. There's no plot. It's a series of action sequences. Yeah, with a couple of actually decent jokes thrown in between, it would seem. You get the action sequence of Harley Quinn evading all the bad guys at the beginning. You get the action sequence of Harley Quinn breaking her out of jail, which is very similar to an Arkham game. The whole jail cell sequence. Yeah, where they all open up at once. I think that's literally the beginning of Arkham Asylum. And then you go back and you get Canary's backstory, where there's another action sequence of just Canary beating up some guys. Canary also super underused. How are you going to have Canary in your movie and not have her do the yell all but one time? Yeah, I didn't know anything about Canary going in, so I was like floored that it was once at the end. She's the only one with real superpowers here. Especially because Journey Smollett is such a good actor. Have you guys watched Friday Night Lights? I've seen her in Friday Night Lights, yeah. She's so good, and same thing with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. They had these really good actors that they didn't really do anything with. God, it's really a shame. (laughs) Kind of like what I was touching on before, they bring in some of these bigger, recognizable, in-universe names, Cassandra Cain, Black Mask, Canary, and it's wasted. You know, it's almost like... They're caught between, oh, we'll do it in the next one, and, oh, we're not going to do a next one, so let's burn this cool thing. I don't think Black Mask was wasted. Ewan McGregor did a good job. It was a memorable villain. Don't don't get me wrong. I thought he was one of the better parts of the movie in general. Like, his craziness was felt through the screen. But, like, I'm saying Black Mask is a character that could be a bigger character if they didn't do some of the things they did in this movie, you know? I feel like Black Mask could be more of a rival, big gangster. They could have melted his mask onto his face, classic style. We haven't even really touched on uh, Renee Montoya. They openly discuss the fact that she's a cop stereotype. Yeah, interesting. I like Rosie Perez, but the entire movie, she's just a cop stereotype until the very end, and it's just all the same. We're using these archetypes as baselines and not fleshing them out any more than that. If you look at something like Bad Times at the Oriel, where you have characters that you don't know a ton about and are just kind of archetypes that the movie's expecting you to go with. But the reason that that works is because you have them all interacting stuck in the same place the whole movie, and that's where the interesting part of the film kicks in. In this movie, you just have these, again, these archetypes that don't actually interact, so then it just becomes following a one-note character, then backing up and seeing what the other one-note character was doing during that same time. But another reason I don't quite jive with this movie is because the, the, the Harley Quinn like animated show that just came out like a couple years ago is this same plot, basically, just done way better. The one we were talking about like, last stronger week. Stronger characterization. Yeah, I'm interested in checking that out. I really am. I wanted to like start that show right after I finished this movie just to like get a maybe a little bit more of what I was looking for in the movie. I ended up not doing it because it was kind of late, but I think I need to maybe get that better version of Harley Quinn sometime soon so I can feel a little better about the direction of that character. I mean, like I said, there's not going to be Birds of Prey 2 or whatever. I, I couldn't imagine... I think Gotham City Sirens is definitely still on the table because I think people really like the Margot Robbie version of Harley Quinn. And I could also see the other underused characters popping up in a different thing, whether that is if they're going to go the Disney Plus route and do like HBO shows that are set in-universe, if they're going to fold them into a sequel down the line of some other movie. 
Although DC does seem to be moving farther and farther away from the cinematic universe model. Basically, my biggest takeaway from this movie is how much I want Mary Elizabeth Winstead to get her own action franchise. Yeah, man. They could have done a straight-up Huntress movie. A little more crossbow action, some more motorcycle scenes. She's genuinely pretty good in this movie for the little time that she does get. I think that's pretty much all we have to say, unless we want to keep repeating how we wish they teamed up earlier in this movie. Last thoughts. Uh, Naming the Hyena Bruce was a good move. I think that the Chinese restaurant yeah, uh, father figure hurt me more than the fake out with the killing the hyena. I think the actual costumes for the birds of prey that they show at the end look goofy as hell, and that's all I got. They look so bad. They Why look do insane. they look so bad, Shavis? I don't know, Garrett. <laughs> I don't know if I could recommend I actually amended my score of Suicide Squad on my letterbox to rate this one half a star lower because I just couldn't see myself. This movie is not worse than Suicide listen, Squad. Listen, I think I would rather watch Suicide Squad than this movie again. I think at least there's more fun. Wow. You're insane. I think you're insane, Shane. You know what? Call me insane. I couldn't Call watch Suicide insane. Squad if not for this show. <laughs> which I'm sure we will. Call me insane for as many problems as I have with Suicide Squad. I think there's a lot of at least more fun individual parts that I could highlight because altogether, this movie just, it bored me a lot. It gave me a lot of the symptoms that Justice League gave me of just like, I didn't care too much about what was happening just because it felt vapid in a lot of ways. That about wraps us up. I think I don't think we have anything more. All right, let's just get let's, out of it. Let's, let's leave this movie forever and never about talk about it again. <laughs> Ricardo, Seamus, hmm? where is Riley? Riley is currently ordering the face removal of a family of three in a warehouse somewhere. Every week he does something worse. Seamus, why would you do that? <laughs> I'm trying to ruin his he's sandwich just, career, Garrett. He's just at family video <laughs> trying to rent Casper, man. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's a, that's so much more wholesome than family video. Stuff. Him and his little siblings, they're going to watch Casper, and you're just trying to bring all this this dark, foreboding violence into it, Seamus. How dare you? I don't know what to say. How dare he's you got, ruin Riley's looking, day like listen, that? Listen, he's, he's got some own ghosts in his closet. I know it's skeletons, but... All right, uh, now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode, and keeping with our... DC theme, because we are masochists, we're going to be talking about the Snyder Cut. Back when Zack Snyder was making the Justice League film, there were issues with the production that combined with the unfortunate passing of Zack Snyder's daughter led to him leaving the project and Avengers director Joss Whedon coming on to do reshoots and oversee the editing process, so essentially finish the movie. Justice League was not super well received, as many of you probably know. Many hardcore DC Universe fans thought that the fault of this lay with Joss Whedon. Now, it sounds like there was some on-set stuff that was going on that's come out later, but that doesn't have anything to do with the actual Snyder Cut. So, people believed that the Zack Snyder version of the movie was supposed to be a masterpiece, and that the tampering from the studio and Joss Whedon is what made it so underwhelming. So, for years, they have campaigned with hashtag release the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Multiple cast members and Zack Snyder himself from Justice League have all tweeted hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder is adamant that 
a cut exists and that that DC could just release it. Then, a few months ago, we got news that the Snyder Cut would be coming to HBO Max at some point. However, they ordered over $70 million for reshoots so that Zack Snyder could finish the Snyder Cut. So despite the fact that all these fans, the cast, and Zack Snyder claimed that there was an existing cut that they could release, now they're essentially creating the cut that they claim already existed. So there will be a Snyder Cut in existence that was just willed into existence by the toxicity of a fan base. It is the movie that was whined into existence. Oh my god, would they not shut up about it for years. I didn't see the theatrical cut of Justice League, and I'm sure we'll end up doing the Snyder Cut for the show, so that'll be an interesting little experiment, but this seems wholly unnecessary, and frankly, considering the fact that Zack Snyder's the guy behind such masterpieces as Man of Steel and Batman (laughs) v Superman, I don't really understand what people are expecting out of this movie. That's my mystery. People like those movies, man. And, like, even I am an apologist in some way for a little bit of how those movies went down but like it's just a fascination of mine that people are so feverish for this and let me specify three and a half hour long cut of one of the most boring superhero movies i've ever seen it was i don't know i will submit i will make myself watch this three and a half hour long snyder cut (laughs) it's a mini series at this point it's not even a movie chop it up Hey, let movies be long, Ricardo. Let this movie be long, though. This is a four-hour cut. (laughs) I am not defending the Snyder Cut. I'm not defending DC. (laughs) I am defending long movies. I'll I'll second that. People complain too much about long movies. That watch the Irishman in segments crap, get it out of here. It's a movie. (laughs) Watch it the way Marty intended. Uh, Marty, when are you going to come on on the show? On my phone? In the back of the car? As long as it's only in one sitting, (laughs) Ricardo. So yeah, that's the Snyder Cut. I hope you guys now understand the stupidity of this controversy. Is this the most we've ever editorialized our pop culture reference? Maybe. (laughs) It's possible. I feel like even if I didn't know about Zack Snyder and the Justice League controversy, I've heard the Snyder Cut as like a phrase a lot since Justice League came out. So this is, if nothing, a very memeable pop culture reference it's definitely something that we're going to see impact pop culture a lot because i think now it's emboldening people to want other things release the whatever cut of anything that they don't like there's released the air cut for suicide squad yeah who cares not me let's stay out of it unless it's something legit important like not anything that dc has ever made in the last 10 years the way i figure they should just give you the raw footage (laughs) and have you edit the movie yourself i like that Seamus, save the rec center, please, so we can just go home. Well, before we go home, we got a little more DC action coming your way from my rec center. Thought In my gripes with this movie and its depiction of Zaz, I want to recommend the Fox show Gotham. I know I'm going to get resistance from at least Ricardo. I think it's a very fun show. It's definitely not the most faithful to any real version of Batman. It definitely has a lot of very fun 
very cool points. It's focused on young James Gordon in the GCPD, a very young Bruce Wayne learning his early Batman skills, you know, young Selina Kyle, a familiar face from last week's Bill and Ted Face the Music. We have Anthony Kerrigan as our man Victor Zaz, which is one of my favorite versions of him, because he's actually kind of funny. I didn't know that. Oh, I love Anthony Kerrigan. Don't make me want to watch Gotham, Yeah, Gothams, take that, James. Garrett. I don't care about Gotham. <laughs> oh. If you're itching for some... You gotta watch all It's of better it. than The Suicide Squad. It's better than Birds of Prey. That's all. Ricardo, what do you got? You know what? I guess it's a DC day. I'm going to keep rolling on this train. We brought it up a little bit before. I'm going to recommend the Scott Snyder run of Batman for the New 52, specifically his Court of Owls run. But yeah, it introduces a whole new Batman villain that seems to have captured the public interest. It's being incorporated into a lot of different works now. His whole run is really good. It's a lot more of the detective stuff. It's almost a horror book. Is there an omnibus yet that I could get my hands on easily, Ricardo? I think there is. Either it hasn't been released yet or it's going to be released pretty soon, but there is like a a Scott Snyder omnibus coming out soon. I'll definitely check that out when that comes out. I'm not trying to track down the floppies, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you've recommended this one to me for a while, Ricardo, so I think I need to do, do the same. What do you got this week, and then, Garrett? Following your shining examples, <laughs> I will also recommend a DC Batman property. It's spooky season. If you have not read the Batman story, The Long Halloween, it is very, very good. It is definitely my favorite Batman story that I've ever read. I'm not a huge Batman fan. Nothing personal, Ricardo. <laughs> it's just, like... I enjoy the the occasional Batman story. I like the Batman movies. But Long Halloween appeals to me a lot more than most Batman stories in that it is a detective story. It's very grounded, but you're still getting a lot of the Batman flourish and the rogues gallery in a way that you'd want to see from your traditional Batman yarn. It's kind of the best of both worlds in terms of Batman. We get to see a lot of the crime world in Gotham. And it's seasonally appropriate because it starts on Halloween. So it's it's got some spooky time. And coming. also, like we touched on before, they're pulling a lot of cool stuff from the long Halloween into this new Robert Pattinson Batman. So if you want to get a little more background, a little more source material on that coming up, give it a shot. Yeah, it'll be good to be read up. Totally agreement. Long Halloween is... Also, like, my favorite Batman thing that they've come out with. Also, tech on, uh, check out Dark Victory. It's the sequel to Long Halloween. Introduces to, uh... I've not read that. Dick Grayson Robin. Oh, nice. Okay. I'll have to read that. Well, I think that about wraps us up for today's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Give us a follow on Instagram. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. All fun things. We'll be back next week for some Halloween goodness. It's going to be October, boys. Oh, that's right. We finally get to dive into all that. Thank God. Until then, we'll see you next week. See you later, everybody. Bye-bye.